Part One, Chapter Ten of In Chancery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eva Harnick. The Foresight Saga, Volume Two, In Chancery by John Galsworthy. Part Number One. Chapter 10. Soames Entertains the Future It was full late for the river, but the weather was lovely, and summer lingered below the yellowing leaves. Soames took many looks at the day from his riverside garden near Maple Durham that Sunday morning. With his own hands he put flowers about his little houseboat and equipped the punt in which, after lunch, he proposed to take them on the river. Placing those Chinese-looking cushions, he could not tell whether or no he wished to take Annette alone. She was so very pretty. Could he trust himself not to say irrevocable words, passing beyond the limits of discretion? Roses on the veranda were still in bloom, and the hedges evergreen, so that there was almost nothing of middle-aged autumn to chill the mood. Yet was he nervous, fidgety, strangely distrustful of his powers to steer just the right course. This visit had been planned to produce in Annette and her mother a due sense of his possessions, so that they should be ready to receive with respect any overture he might later be disposed to make. He dressed with great care, making himself neither too young nor too old, very thankful that his hair was still thick and smooth and had no grey in it. Three times he went up to his picture gallery. If they had any knowledge at all, they must see at once that his collection alone was worth at least thirty thousand pounds. He minutely inspected, too, the pretty bedroom overlooking the river where they would take off their hats. It would be her bedroom if, if the matter went through, and she became his wife. Going up to the dressing-table, he passed his hand over the lilac-colored pincushion, into which were stuck all kinds of pins. A bowl of potpourri exhaled a scent that made his head turn just a little. His wife! If only the whole thing could be settled out of hand, and there was not the nightmare of this divorce to be gone through first and with gloom puckered on his forehead, he looked out at the river shining beyond the roses and the lawn. Madame Lamotte would never resist this prospect for her child. Annette would never resist her mother. If only he were free! He drove to the station to meet them. What taste French women had! Madame Lamotte was in black with touches of lilac colour. Annette in greyish lilac linen with cream-coloured gloves and hat. Rather pale she looked and Londony, and her blue eyes were demure. 
Waiting for them to come down to lunch, Soames stood in the open French window of the dining room, moved by that sensuous delight in sunshine and flowers and trees, which only came to the full when youth and beauty were there to share it with one. He had ordered the lunch with intense consideration. The wine was a very special sauterne. The whole appointments of the meal, perfect. The coffee served on the veranda, super excellent. Madame Lamotte accepted creme de menthe. Annette refused. Her manners were charming, with just a suspicion of the conscious beauty creeping into them. Yes, thought Soames. Another year of London and that sort of life, and she will be spoiled. Madame was in sedate French raptures. Adorable! Le soleil est si bon! How everything is chic, is it not, Annette? Monsieur is a real Monte Cristo. Annette murmured assent with a look up at Soames, which he could not read. He proposed a turn on the river, but to punt two persons, when one of them looked so ravishing on those Chinese cushions, was merely to suffer from a sense of lost opportunity. So they went but a short way towards Pangbourne, drifting slowly back, with every now and then an autumn leaf dropping on Annette or on her mother's black amplitude. And Soames was not happy, worried by the thought, how, when, where, can I say what? They did not yet even know that he was married. To tell them he was married might jeopardize his every chance. Yet, if he did not definitely make them understand that he wished for Annette's hand, it would be dropping into some other clutch before he was free to claim it. At tea, which they both took with lemon, Soames spoke of the Transvaal. There will be war, he said. Madame Lamotte lamented. Ces pauvres Jean Berger, could they not be left to themselves? Soames smiled. The question seemed to him absurd. Surely, as a woman of business, she understood that the British could not abandon their legitimate commercial interests. Ah, that! But Madame Lamotte found that the English were a little hypocrite. They were talking of justice and the Whitlanders, not of business. Monsieur was the first who had spoken to her of that. The Boers are only half-civilized, remarked Soames. They stand in the way of progress. It will never do to let our suzerainty go. What does that mean to say, suzerainty? What a strange word. Soames became eloquent, roused by these threats to the principle of possession, and stimulated by Annette's eyes fixed on him. He was delighted when presently she said, I think monsieur is right. They should be taught a lesson. She was sensible. Of course, he said, we must act with moderation. I am no jingo. We must be firm without bullying. 
Will you come up and see my pictures? Moving from one to another of these treasures, he soon perceived that they knew nothing. They passed his last move, that remarkable study of a haycart going home, as if it were a lithograph. He waited almost with awe to see how they would view the jewel of his collection and Israel's, whose price he had watched ascending till he was now almost certain it had reached top value and would be better on the market again. They did not view it at all. This was a shock. And yet to have in Annette a virgin taste to form would be better than to have the silly half-baked predilections of the English middle class to deal with. At the end of the gallery was a Maisonnier, of which he was rather ashamed. Maisonnier was so steadily going down. Madame Lamotte stopped before it. Maisonnier! Ah, oh, what a jewel! Soames took advantage of that moment. Very gently touching Annette's arm, he said, How do you like my place, Annette? She did not shrink, did not respond. She looked at him full, looked down, and murmured, Who would not like it? It is so beautiful. Perhaps some day, Soames said and stopped. So pretty she was, so self-possessed. She frightened him. Those cornflower blue eyes, the turn of that creamy neck, her delicate curves, she was a standing temptation to indiscretion. No, no, one must be sure of one's ground, much surer. If I hold off, he thought, it will tantalize her and he crossed over to Madame Lamotte, who was still in front of the Maisonnier. Yes, that's quite a good example of his later work. You must come again, Madame, and see them lit up. You must both come and spend the night. Enchanted! Would it not be beautiful to see them lighted? By moonlight, too, the river must be ravishing. Annette murmured. Thou art sentimental, Mamma. Sentimental. That black-robed, comely, substantial French woman of the world, and suddenly he was certain, as he could be, that there was no sentiment in either of them. All the better. Oh, what use sentiment. And yet... He drove to the station with them and saw them into the train. To the tightened pressure of his hand, it seemed that Annette's fingers responded just a little. Her face smiled at him through the dark. He went back to the carriage brooding. Go on home, Jordan, he said to the coachman. I will walk. And he strode out into the darkening lanes, caution and the desire of possession playing seesaw with him. Bonsoir, monsieur. How softly she had said it, to know what was in her mind. The French, they were like cats. One could tell nothing. But how pretty! What a perfect young thing to hold in one's arms! 
what a mother for his heir and he thought with a smile of his family and their surprise at a french wife and their curiosity and of the way he would play with it and buffet it confound them the poplar sighed in the darkness an owl hooted shadows deepened in the water i will and must be free he thought i won't hang about any longer i will go and see irene if you want things done do them yourself i must live again live and move and have my being and in echo to that queer biblicality church bells chimed the call to evening prayer end of part one chapter ten Soames entertains the future. Recording by Ava Harnick.